Hello, Reading with Rory fam. No, you aren't being visited by the ghost of Christmas past. We are starting a podcast tradition of rebroadcasting our original 2019 discussion of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol every Christmas. It's been a year, and we want to end it on a merry note. So, as Dickens himself said in the preface to the book, I have endeavored in this ghostly little book to raise the ghost of an idea which shall not put my readers out of humor with themselves, with each other, with the season, or with me. May it haunt their houses pleasantly, and no one wish to lay it. I mean, what more can you say than that? <laughs> As a small matter of business before the fun begins, Reading with Rory is taking a little pause to recover from 2020. We hope you can do the same. Uh, we will miss you, but we'll be back in your feed soon, rested and ready to talk about books. Happy holidays and a very happy new year to you all. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be Welcome to episode 37 of Reading with Rory, a podcast where three friends discuss the 300 plus books on the Rory Gilmore reading list. I'm today's host, Liz. I'm Erin. And I'm Sarah. Today we're discussing the beloved Christmas classic by Charles Dickens, published in 1843. Oh, it's called A Christmas Carol. <laughs> Put the title. I just figured you'd know by a beloved Christmas classic by there Charles Dickens. <laughs> we, are, uh, we are so lucky because we get two direct references to this book in the series. So one is in season three, episode seven. It's the dance marathon, epi- marathon episode. Um, Taylor tells Luke, you would kick Tiny Tim's crutch out from under him, wouldn't you? That's my Taylor impersonation. That's <laughs> really good. It was really the good. The other reference is in season seven, episode 11, when Rory says, Inside, I assure you, I was devoid of the Christmas spirit. A complete Scrooge. That's when she gets back from visiting Logan in London. So I guess you know the book has some real world reach when we know exactly what Taylor and Rory mean because Tiny Tim and Scrooge themselves are symbols or characteristic tropes or all these things that embody what Taylor and um, Taylor's trying to get through and Rory's trying to say. So that's how impactful and wide-reaching this book is. Anyways, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So let's move on to Friday night dinner segment. What are we eating? Something festive, anyone? What do you I'm having it's sort of festive in that it was given it was a it was an office gift from a uh, Christmas gift from a colleague. Um, but it's these yummies yummy caramel stroop waffles. Um, and they're just so tasty, and I'm having them with a nice Diet Coke. It's a good, healthy breakfast. Well, I'm having some... Okay, so I think I may have said this before, but during the months of October and December, I pretty much buy everything seasonal that Trader Joe's has to offer. And so today, I'm eating some of those little iced gingerbread men that Trader Joe's sells. Oh, gosh, I love those things. (laughs) So... Very good. That's, that's they I'm have doing. such a good selection, so I don't blame you for stocking up. <laughs> oh, yummy gingerbread men. What about you, Liz? Well, I am having some hot chocolate and a candy cane, because that's super festive. But no, like with like candy cane crumbles, like with it, right? Oh. So not like sucking on a candy cane and then drinking hot chocolate. Like that's not... Well, is, are you like stirring your hot chocolate with the candy cane or... No, it's like some peppermint stuff on top of it. Okay, right? that's fair. Because it's not hot chocolate. I mean, you can have hot chocolate all the time, but hot chocolate at Christmas has to have, you know. There has to be some peppermint component, I agree. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. 
So sounds pretty tasty for all of us because really the only thing at Christmas I wouldn't want to eat is the fruit cake, and then after that I'm fine. Oh, I my mean, dad loves fruit cake. He'll go buy like the mom. Costco fruit cakes and just munch on it. And I'm like, A, that thing is full of preservatives and looks yeah. disgusting. And B, it's fruitcake. Why would you eat it? No. Yeah. He loves it. It's very British. But everything else, I'll take. Speaking of British. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the book. Let's do that. So um, I find it hard to believe that there are any listeners, let alone um, many listeners, who need a plot synopsis of this book. So, if you have never heard of Ebenezer Scrooge or Bah Humbug, you should fix this gap in your cultural literacy immediately. But I've read it a lot of times. That's not our problem. (laughs) And can provide a good synopsis for you. So, (laughs) this is not from any website. My own synopsis. You guys ready? Liz, hold on. I feel like we should preface this. Liz teaches this book to her students, her seventh grade students, and has for several years and mm-hmm. like maybe has the whole book memorized so we have an, we have an no expert here guiding us through this conversation so i just i can I'm just re- sum it up well i'm ready to just like sit at your feet and learn liz tell us what tell us about the christmas oh, carol <laughs> that's what's gonna happen today okay yeah. ebenezer scrooge a selfish miserly lonely and cold man who would rather stick a fig of holly through his heart then say Merry Christmas, is visited by the chain-covered ghost of his former business partner, Jacob Marley. Marley warns him that he is doomed if he does not change. Three other spirits come on the night of Christmas Eve to show Scrooge his Christmases in the past, present, and yet to come. This journey changes Scrooge, and he wakes up on Christmas morning a different man that suddenly gives, laughs, cares about his fellow men, and truly celebrates Christmas. So that's what happens. If you didn't know... It's pretty epic and iconic. So that's, I think it's um, something that even when I start teaching it at school, I'm like, you know, Scrooge. And the kid's like, oh, yeah, because everybody has heard of this or seen something about it or has some reference to it in some way. So even if you didn't know the whole plot, now you do. Um, so since December 19th, 1843, that's when it, the book was published, A Christmas Carol has never been out of print and has been helped to shape the traditions and the way we celebrate Christmas today. So it's, it has its, um, definite legacy. Imagine writing a book that shows the world how to celebrate like a whole holiday because before this, basically Christmas for, especially in England was like, I don't know. Uh, like a Memorial Day type holiday where it's recognized, but it isn't like the holiday that we recognize it today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people recognized it. Some people didn't. Some people got a day off. Some people didn't. Right. So, I mean, it's just not necessarily like the big, it wasn't really that, that huge. Right. And wasn't it kind of like at the same time with like Prince Albert brought like a lot of German Christmas traditions over Mm -hmm. that, it kind of coincided with this, right? Like Christmas trees and things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think people had like feasts and celebrations with their family and things like that. That happened, is, but only really if you had a lot of money. And there was, the other thing at that time period was there was a huge um, disparity between the haves and the have-nots, so to speak. And so, um, so yeah, that was where Charles Dickens was at the time. So Victorian English Christmas traditions and celebrations involved basically going to church and then, you know, making merry. They had mistletoe, carols, gifts, games, all those things. Even the decorated Christmas tree started to come about in popularity there. Um, But it was just basically considered a time to be kind to others, but it was never really 
like this time of charitable giving that we kind of know it to be today, right? Where you think of people in need more. So Dickens' vision of Christmas celebrations in this book helped to show people, first of all, how fun it is to celebrate because lots of people didn't necessarily do all those things. And also um, he had a very... um, a very distinct purpose to writing the book, which was to help people recognize the need to help other people and to, you know, kind of correct some societal ills. Mm-hmm. That was a big mm-hmm. MO of Charles. He Dickens. was a social reform yeah. crusader. So that's what he wanted to do. So we'll go into that more in detail, I think a little bit, but I want to, um, like talk about what we think of the book, because to me, like knowing the background of it, like it has this, like, um, no, not the background, but like the, the reach it's had, the way it's impacted people, like the father of Christmas, basically, in some ways. It, clearly, people love and um, remember this book. Does that mean we do? I don't know. Let's find so, out. I mean, the book is worth <laughs> worthy yeah. of all the. Uh, all or is the it like oh, Christmas Carol? I roll. So let's yeah. find out. What do we think, Erin? Where where do you come down on Christmas Carol? Um, I really, I really liked it. So the first time, so when I read this. Um, like I've seen, you know, several adaptations of movies, mm-hmm. you know, I've seen plays like this is just it's like everywhere. you said, this, yeah. it's everywhere. Right. Everyone knows about Ebenezer Scrooge. Like it's just not, um, hard. It, it would be hard to miss the storyline of this story in, you know, American culture, but I had never really read the actual book. And so when I sat down and read the book, First of all, it's not very long. It's it's quite short. Um, and there was so much in it that doesn't really come out in any of the movies. You know, it's a, it, there are very religious undertones and like a lot of philosophical commentary. There's a lot of philosophical commentary where it's very clear that Dickens is trying to make a point and he's trying to, um, like you said, Liz, you know, like he's trying to show people how important it is to be kind to others. And the whole idea of sort of an afterlife where you're doomed to make amends for all the things you didn't do for your fellow man while you were alive. Like, it's a very interesting Or you can't make amends. Or you, right, you can't make amends. And so you kind of wander in eternity. And and that's kind of his definition of being damned, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you, you can't ever make amends. You can't ever help anyone again and it's just a really interesting idea which i'm sure we'll kind of get into as Mm we as we go but so i was very impressed reading it like the it's much deeper the story i think is much deeper than what you see in most adaptations and um and a lot of that is because like the the narration you know the commentary as opposed to the script doesn't often make it into you know some sort of visual adaptation so um, anyway, so I, I would give this one, I would give this one five stars. I absolutely think that it deserves its place in our cultural heritage and hope it continues to have that place for, you know, many years to come. Yep. Glowing. You align with the world. <laughs> Good work. Sarah, where do you fall? I mean, it's not, not too different. I love this book. I've read it a few times. I, it is cause it's so short. It's such an easy read. Um, an easy read in that it's like, you can read it quickly. Um, and so I've read it several times, sometimes just like, it's like a part of like a, a holiday tradition. I don't necessarily do it every year, but I've read it several times. And, um, so for this reread, I actually listened to it because in addition to lots of 
great like stage adaptations and film and TV. There's also like lots of great audio of um it, like it. I almost think of it as like like a play, like it's to be performed, you know. Anyway, so um, but it's fun to listen to it because you do get that narration while still kind of anyway. So I listen to a. Uh, um, this is not any kind of product placement, but I just listened to like uh, an Audible original where they have all these, uh, you know, British thespians um, kind of reading the different parts, and then you have like Derek Jacoby, who's who's Dickens essentially, and it was so good. Oh my gosh, I was listening to it in my office, and I was just crying at the end when, um, you know, when he wakes up on Christmas morning and he has this chance to start over, and it's so moving, and I love. I mean, I, Dickens obviously has a way with words and I, and I love the way it's written and, and how vivid the characters are and just how powerful the story is. Like this idea of being haunted by regret and, and getting a chance to start over and, um, and it's just so heartwarming and, you know, I love it. So I'd give it five stars. I'm going to have to agree because it's so good. So I love, I'm glad that you guys loved it too because and you gave awesome like I think interesting and awesome reasons to like it like his redemption and just the message all the way through the book that Dickens kind of weaves his own (laughs) his own kind of you know ideas into very strongly right um I would agree 100% I give it five stars I I do read this book every year just because not just because I teach it but I mean it has become like Christmas tradition so when you know, you start out, but for me, I kind of, as I, I read it slowly with the students, and so we kind of go through it, like, and really analyze what it's like at the beginning, and analyze, you know, things he learns as reflection, and then kind of reflect on the end, and it's just so fun to watch, and to feel myself, right, as he grows happier, and more um, connected to Christmas traditions, and celebrations, and happiness, that it's hard not to feel the same way, right? So, I mean, there's all the good things about helping people. I mean, I just, it's so, like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Liz, I just, even, like, it's just such a powerful, like, you know, and, like, he has this change of heart overnight, and, which is, for such, like, a, you know, an extreme character to jump completely to the, to the opposite end of the spectrum and overnight and is is obviously ridiculous but it's so believable like he just makes it so like you you're just so bought in and it's like you're just 100 percent there when he's just has this total change of heart the next morning and is so anxious to you know go just like be be friendly and like embrace mankind and it's just oh it's so good well i think that that's part of what is so interesting about it because a story like this has the potential to just be so sappy oh, and yeah. so over the top and so unbelievable and just, you know, it, it could have gone a totally different direction. But it, I think it shows Dickens' mastery in writing. Like, Dickens mm-hmm. is, one of, is one of my personal favorite authors. I love almost everything that he's written that I've read. And we have several Dickens books on this list. So this is not the only time that we're going to be talking about Dickens and his writing. But the, like, you know, like you were saying, Sarah, to take a character as extreme as Scrooge and have him make, and, you know, but he gives him context, right? He gives him a background. He gives him a reason for being this curmudgeon. And, um, 
and going through, you know, so when you see his whole sort of like history and process of growth over time, then it's not so unbelievable to see him go from being Scrooge to being this like totally different man when he wakes up on Christmas morning. And I don't know, I, like, I think it, I think just the way he weaves all of that together, he touches on themes that I think are very personal and get at, at the heart of what a lot of people both fear and believe and so it just it's much easier to buy into the story and he has all this beautiful christmas image imagery you know the idea of like the ghost of christmas present and and the way he describes each of the ghosts and and the festivities all around like our entire oh, i don't know about our entire but so much of our christmas tradition can be pulled right out of this book i mean if we were to step into this storyline we would feel right at home mm-hmm. and we just base so much of our christmas history on this story that I think we just, it's just, I don't know. I just give it him a ton of credit for writing it the way he did because it could have been totally different. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I'm glad it isn't because it's so, it's just so amazing to read. Right. I think he's just a master in character work, right? Like his characters just jump off the page and even like the minor ones. Like I love the fezzy wigs in this book. Yeah. I think they're so delightful <laughs> and they're just small minor characters. Right. And I think you get like such a, a real feel for them and even just like their names make you feel something. Right. So mm-hmm. like, I just think he just does such a good job of, um, really bringing me- those. I'm so sorry. I'm like really anxious, like to jump in. I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry. I mean, go on. Um, well, and this is with a completely nonsensical, <laughs> stupid observation, but it's um, it just made me think of um, uh, uh, a favorite tweet from this year where someone says, uh, "Me." Whoa! It says I can have up to 280 characters in my tweet. Charles Dickens, cracks knuckles. All right, I got this. But all 280 of them are going to be orphans. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you just had a way okay. with his characters that's all anyway i should have to throw that in there speaking of characters <laughs> got it. Um, i do I, also want to point out real quick that i think this is the second book that we've all given a five yeah makes sense uh, the only other one was bel canto yeah mm-hmm. i think you're right well a dubious honor <laughs> right uh, yes um so i mean i think one of the things i think charles dickens said it or his dad taught to him or it was part of his like idea but like about the idea of lightening other people's burdens like you're you you have purpose in life if you can lighten other people's burdens so i think this book illustrates that in every way so as you see all his characters going through like the people who have value in the book are the people who can ease other people and help them and like so like i mentioned the fezzy wigs right they can lighten burdens by having fun or the cratchits like even give money to other people and try and lighten the burdens of others but gives Scrooge this context where he's not doing any of that. So like what value does he have, right? So that book um really pointed out to the readers, I think, a social problem that Charles Dickens really wanted to get across. So I read this book a few years ago by Les Standerford. Um he wrote a book called The Man Who Invented Christmas, How Charles Dickens, um, a Christmas Carol rec- rescued his career and revived our holiday spirits. 
Um, yep, that is a movie that came out recently, Dan Stevens and Christopher Plummer. Um, but it was based on a book, and it was also, <laughs> I heard him interview the author on Radio West, so I'll put a link on that because we know we love our Radio West on oh, this podcast. Oh, we love podcast. Radio West. Shut yeah. <laughs> so um, the, the Radio West interview is awesome, too. But basically, this is the story that I learned, which has put so much context and meaning into um, the book itself, The Christmas Carol, that I love, too. So... Dickens was listening to a lecture in Manchester, and this lecture was basically talking about how the the struggles of society right now are ignorance and want, and they name those two very specifically. And um, coincidentally, I should also mention that um, uh, Andrew Carnegie was or Carnegie was in the audience too at the same time and came back to the United States, and you can see some of his legacy has also been trying to, you know, alleviate some of those, like, struggles he, as well. He had a great ther- philanthropic yeah. legacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I just think, imagine being this lecturer who inspired Charles Dickens and then Andrew Carnegie. <laughs> Andrew Carnegie <laughs> to, like, go, go out yeah. and do something. But anyway, so here's this lecture about how ignorance and want are such a struggle. And so Charles Dickens, I mean, he's not immune to this. He struggled a lot in his life, and he came from a poor background. He worked in a, black, a shoe blacking factory. He painted labels onto, like, a, a can or bottle. And he had to do that at a young age. He had to get out of school because his dad was in debtor's prison. And so um, knowing this background, he knows what it's like to struggle and knows what it's like to not get the education you, you know, could have helped you in a better way, right? And so I think the idea of him seeing these struggles and seeing his society around him, basically ignoring it or not doing much to deal with it, right? Like, let's put people in debtor's prison, that will solve everything. Or let's, you know, have the the workhouses or the things that they mention in, in Christmas Carol. Um, so he was walking home, he's like going through his life and he also has to write a book because he needs some money and he's, you know, himself in some hard times, but he was inspired to write it by doing this and thinking, how can I bring awareness to those who don't have any idea how much people are really like suffering? They don't really realize this disparity between the, those who have and those who do not. So he puts this into the book in such a clear way. Like he forces Scrooge to go in and see everyone's like see the Cratchits or see people in prison when the ghost of Christmas present, like takes him all around and takes him to like the mines and takes him to a prison and takes him to a lighthouse. And just basically points out all these places where people aren't rich, but they're happy and that they are, I mean, essentially just like fellow men. Right. So he needs to, he points this out to him and makes it his responsibility to care about those people instead of thinking that they're surplus population, right? Um, so um, as he was walking the streets, Dickens saw some small struggling children, and they eventually become what he sees as ignorance and want, these symbolic characters in the book. Um, sometimes they're in movie adaptations too, but do you guys remember the ignorance and want that came out of the robes? of the coast of christmas present yeah mm-hmm. and you're it's, like what is that <laughs> yeah, i remember thinking that was very weird when i read it because it's not <laughs> you don't see it in many yeah. adaptations yeah yeah it's um he labels it he says beware and it's like this lecture from him beware this this is doom right he lectures the reader about how we need to beware and heed these children he's not subtle about it right he's not it's not sappy all the time it's very like trying to make this reform necessary and I think it did it effectively right because people started to immediately 
up their charitable giving. They passed some, not necessarily just because of this book, but people like the social reform laws in um, England came shortly after this book was published. And so I think he did have an impact, but we still struggle with this today. Ignorance and want aren't solved. Thank you. Um, to Dickens and Carnegie and whoever else was at that lecture to try, but I don't think it's really solved. So do you think when we read this today, does it really help people to inspire change and social reform still? Or do you think people see it as like... That's a good question. Yeah. Um, As just like Christmas fluff. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, and I mean, maybe this is like spoiler because we'll get into what it inspires us to do, right? But like, I think it, it does inspire like looking inward at how you at, at, at how you can be better right are you like like scrooge and and solitary and keep to yourself solitary as an oyster and 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 not reaching out to the world around you i think it kind of starts as like your inner change of heart that then inspires you to to um go out and and help mankind right i so i think it's and in an indirect indirectly yes i think it does inspire because i was you know it did make me pause and think am i doing enough and what can i be doing to help um but i think the you know the the real thing that happens here is 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 scrooge's change of heart and so it i think it's about not so much about you know christmas frivolity but as about like again redemption and personal redemption and how we can we can look inward to to alleviate and correct, you know, our own selfishness. And well, that's what's dooming him is his selfishness, right? Like all those chains are the missed opportunities he had to help. Like on Marley's chain, sorry, I jumped, but his symbolic chain, which is also pretty symbolic, right? Like all these things chained to him are these things he cared about that were not his other, like mankind and. Um, that's what you get to like lug around with you in your afterlife. Like it's hard to not think, Ooh, is that really what I want my legacy to be? Right. What Instead I, of, yeah. What am I carrying? What am I going to be carrying? I don't know that I agree. Well, I think the problem is that most people don't read this book. I think most people watch a movie or an adaptation of this book. So I think some of the point is missed because it's just lost in translation. So I don't know, Mm -hmm. like, on the whole, in terms of this story, I don't know that this story currently inspires people to do what Dickens was trying to get them to do. But I think the people who read the book do probably pause to think about it or at least, you know, have a better chance of doing so. But I just don't think that most people read the book. Yeah. yeah, I think that that's true. Um, I do think there are definitely uh, more effective adaptations than others. We'll get. We'll definitely get to. Oh that. yeah, we're getting to it. <laughs> um, I don't know that it's just Christmas fluff. Otherwise, I think there's still because, oh, like, yeah. I think there's always value in the story of you know everyone kind of recognizes a redemption story. The whole, like, yeah, it's a redemption story, and they see the, the kind of the process that Scrooge goes through. And so I think anyone could walk out of it recognizing like okay i need to be a better person generally mm-hmm. so i think it still inspires that but some of the like social change yeah. that dickens was very 
like pointedly making. Mm-hmm. I don't sure, I think that's but I do what think it, th- some of that social change was a little bit more specific to its time, right? I think the timeless yeah. message of of this book is is embracing goodness and kindness and and letting people into your life and and um, and sharing sharing your life with other people. That's a good point. Yeah. That, that makes me think of like the whole journey he goes through because the ghosts don't all necessarily point out and be like, here, this is where you could have helped somebody, right? Like they make him reflect on his own life and his own like missed opportunities or his that makes him reflect on his life. Which ghost do you guys think? Well, not most effective, but which ghost? What what did he learn from the ghost that you think would have really um, helped him reflect or change? Like, what would cause this change in his ref- like in those in that journey he took? Like, yeah, what's the? I mean, I do think the ghost of Christmas Past plays a pretty like key role in like opening his mind because when you get to present, I mean, he's walking around Christmas present. That's just the world he's used to, right? So I think mm-hmm. you have to and he he has to kind of be kind of scared straight a little bit by the ghost of Christmas past to see what is lacking in the present. And like um, when he rejected Belle or the fiance. Or, well, mm-hmm. she more or less rejected him actually. She's like, you've changed, right? Yeah. Like yeah. your priorities are not, I don't want to be with you. You don't, you love money more than you love people. And, um, well, and, I think some of it was, was having like, because I agree with you, Sarah. I think the Ghost of Christmas Past was a crucial element, but I think it was because it it forced Scrooge to confront things that he had buried, and um, yeah. he would not have been open or receptive to any other message before he confronted those things and yeah, was reminded of the person that he used to be and saw how far he had come from that person. And I think sometimes, like, I think that's a really pointed message from Dickens mm-hmm. that sometimes you have to confront your past. You have to confront where you've been and how far you've come from who you used to be before you're ready to make any sort of change. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of the idea of hitting rock bottom, right? Like Mm -hmm. you recognize that you are far away from the person that you, that you wanted to be. And that only at that moment, are you ready to change? Yeah. I mean, Marley can lecture him. I mean, he could have, if Marley could have just told him in the first ghost, right? Like you need to be a better person go be a better person, then that whole journey wouldn't have worked. You have to, like, go through the yeah. work to... Yeah, and even Marley, I think, serves as, like, a an effective... The, in the audio version I read, Marley was super scary. Like, yeah. I'm so... Um, I'm, I'm used to, like... Like, I think I, Marley's is rock bottom, right? Yeah. And then he's like, okay, now I'm going to... Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah. Like, I... Well, and Marley the, scares him. He's he serves Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But, like, I think I've seen maybe the Mickey version and the Muppet version too many times. <laughs> where it's like, um, which are both really good. Like, we're going to get into this. But Marley's not exactly scary in that. Like, the real kind of scary. Because they're children's movies. So I think that re- really, like, how deeply scary that experience was. And um, and kind of humbled him. And, and, yeah, just kind of scared the crap out of him. <laughs> I mean, I think that's necessary. But I don't know that it makes him the most... Like, for me, I think his most... Um, I, I think seeing the ghost of Christmas present, not is the most effective, but like if you went around and saw 
all these people that you had no idea, like what, cause you're missing out on it your whole time. You're just doing your own thing in your own business and you never worry about what other people are thinking or doing or yeah. uh, their own lives. Like he never thinks about other people's lives. Right. So suddenly you get to see people celebrating and having fun and you're missing out on it. And suddenly you get to see people like oh, the see way people just like uh, <laughs> ripping on you. Yeah, like, like everyone is <laughs> laughing. So for me, a big thing in this book is laughter, right? I see it like he can't, like people are laughing and having fun in this middle part. And then at the end, it's him who gets to laugh. And I love his like journey to being um, like the person being laughed at to the person who just laughs all the time, just out of like joy and merriment. Like there's amazing lines about that. Um, anyway, so he talks about how everyone's just laughing at him and he's missing out on this and he's the butt of the joke instead of the like... He, I, he never worried about it, right? And he's seen how people live their lives and can be happy, and he's yeah. not happy. Well, and I think it's waking because it's not like he's cold hearted and that like he no. does or like completely. He's not happy though. Yeah, right. And but he it's sees like, people that are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I still think that if like you have to have the foundation of the ghost of Christmas past before the ghost of Christmas present makes a difference, because if the ghost of Christmas present had come on its own. I don't think it would have been very effective because Scrooge, because that was his present day, right? Mm-hmm. He just ignored everything around him. He ignored people in their suffering. He ignored his nephew. He ignored everybody who could have cared about him or who he could have cared about. And so I think if the ghost of Christmas present had come first, I don't think it would have meant anything. But having gone through this experience where he's evaluating his past and who he used to be and his time with the Fezziwigs and, you know, like just all this stuff. He's thinking about it. Then he, then the ghost of Kirsten's present comes and just drives the message home. Like, this is what you're missing out on now. This is what you're not doing now. I think that becomes way more powerful. And then when the ghost of Christmas future comes, he's just like absolutely terrified out of his mind. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> well, and even the ghosts themselves, like what they look like. And their yeah. um, like what their appearance, like their appearance or their how they communicate, basically, right, is just fascinating. Like I love that the ghost of Christmas present. I know it's confusing, and they don't show it well in a lot of adaptations. Is like he is Christmas, right? And so he's like, I have eighteen hundred brothers before me, right? Like yeah. he lives for that one day. He grows older as the day goes on, and it's like he, that part is just kind of like a. Um, I just kind of like how it goes weird like that. <laughs> I just like that the ghosts themselves are just kind of weird anomalies. And I love that the ghost of Christmas um, yet to come is just basically a hand, right? Like just pointing stuff out to him. So basically it's Scrooge coming to the realizations of for himself without someone narrating what to think, <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's like, talk about yeah. the ghost of Christmas past because uh, that's always weirded me out a little bit. Just the form it takes. Like a candle. Is it is it is it like a candle? Is it like a person candle? Is it a ghost? It's a young like... boy, but also an old man. <laughs> so weird. Often played by a woman with the glowing head. <laughs> and he's like, put the cap, like put the cap back on, ghost. Like, and then too much light coming out of your head. It's weird. <laughs> like when I read it with students, they're like, what? And then he's like, touch my robe, and the kids are like, don't do it. <laughs> Well, okay, so just, I just want to read a little bit of the description because it's, 
since we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. So he says it was a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old man, <laughs> viewed through some supernatural medium, which gave him the appearance of having receded from view and being diminished to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle in it, and the tenderest bloom was on the skin. The arms were very long and muscular, the hands the same, as if its hold were of uncommon strength. Its legs and feet, most delicately formed, were, like those upper members, bare. It wore a tunic of the purest white, and round its waist was was bound a lustrous belt, the sheen of which was beautiful. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and in singular contradiction of that wintry emblem, had its dress trimmed with summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light, by which all this was visible, and which was doubtless the occasion of its using, in its duller moments, a great extinguisher for a cap, which it now held under its arm. That's just a weird description. Mm-hmm. Where did he come up with that? It's so unusual. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the idea of like, it I looks mean, like a it child. It certainly makes you not want to like be like, man. I want to go with that guy. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was it at that But maybe point, that's like it, your past. It's all yeah. kind of blurred together that shapes who you are, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, what is yeah. it supposed to symbolize? Is it at that point when the ghost's like, come with me? And he's like, uh, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> no, he does. He's like, I think I'm going to go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is at that point. That is a good point. Um, well, I think there's so many good lines like that. That's a good passage you pulled out. Were there any, I mean, were there any other passages or lines that the ghosts say or that Scrooge says or that Dickens himself says that you that you guys held on to that really impacted you or sh- shaped the reading for you? Um, I love Dickens' description of Scrooge in the beginning, right? I mean... Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it's iconic. I think that a lot of people, uh, you know, just, just kind of know it. But um, I love it. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand, the grindstone screw, just squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had struck out generous fire. I love that. Secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. I like um, it says that bad weather wouldn't have him. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love the stuff that Marley says because I think that the whole dialogue between Scrooge and Marley I think is just really really interesting and when Scrooge is you know he's like you know why are you here and and he says you know why do spirits walk the earth and why do they come to me um, and then Marley says it is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men and travel far and wide and if that spirit goes not forth in life it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world, oh, woe is me, and witness what it cannot share, but might have shared on earth and turned to happiness. And then he goes on and, and you know, Scrooge is like, well, you know, what are, what are the chains? And Marley says, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it of my own free will, and of my free will I wore it. It is, uh, is its pattern strange to you? And uh, like, it just, it, you know, they go through and talk about, and like Marley, I feel like that's where so much of Scrooge's like, I'm going to make a point is contained. Cause he's just talking about, you know, like the, the fact that he's doomed to walk through life and, you know, he traveling and blah, blah, blah. And he's captive and, um, you know, he can't serve his fellow man and he's trying to warn Scrooge of what his, 
life could yeah. become if he's not careful. I just think it's really Yeah, powerful. it's such a scary image, right? Like, it's such a warning, you know? This is this is my life, and this is going to be, you know, this is this is what I'm doomed to, and this is what you'll be doomed to as well. And Yeah, I mean, and, like, this yeah, part, so I think this is, like, my favorite section of the whole thing where, um, you know, Scrooge says, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob. And then Jake, and then Jacob Marley mm-hmm. says, "Business, mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, <laughs> and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business." And I love that. I just yeah. love that. You know, he's like, "Mankind was my business," and mm-hmm. I, it's just so well written. It's so well written. Yeah. Well, and it's because it's not like Scrooge is an evil person, right? Like, as a character, he has all those characters, all those things. Well, I know we're all sinners, so that doesn't make us evil. Well, I was going to say, like, I mean, that whole description that Sarah read, right? Like, paints him as a cold person that people avoided. But it wasn't like he was just, like, out kicking puppies, you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I mean, he, he he definitely was, you know, not a nice guy. But it was also clear that, like, he wasn't just being in being a good businessman wasn't gonna like do him much right like that's not where your salvation lies right so marley's whole speech right there is very telling and it's like making mankind your business like what does that mean right like mm-hmm. what should scrooge be doing instead right like what is he not doing that would make him a better person that wouldn't doom him to carry this chain around so yeah i even do think the detail that runs throughout of like how he won't allow cratchit to like be warm, like use enough coal to, to heat their counting house. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and he's so, you know, he's so chintzy that he can't even allow that. And poor Cratch is just freezing. And, you know, he's kind of convinced himself like that how um, much he doesn't feel it. You know what I mean? It's just, what does it say? Darkness was cheap. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. And well, yeah, because um, he goes, he goes home and he doesn't ever turn on any lights. He doesn't, yeah. you know, eats gruel. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, he it does sound like a pretty miserable existence for him, right? But then you see Cratchit, that contrast with Cratchit is pretty strong, right? Yeah. And, I mean, the character of Tiny Tim is definitely a, a good manipulative rhetorical device for um, for Dickens to use. Um, to convince it's pretty people. manipulative, like, but come on. Here is, oh no, <laughs> like, this is who you're talking about. Like, I mean, they, they settled it. It's not settled. They say, this is who you're saying is surplus population. This kid right here. Like, yeah. this is who you're saying that to. And this, you said, like, they, he throws those words back in his face, right? Yeah. So I love how the Ghost of Christmas <laughs> present does that. It's so oh, effective. Yeah. Are, are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Like, Scrooge is like, oh. <laughs> Right. So, I mean, that's what I think it does mean to make mankind your business, to worry about, like, what's going to happen to this little kid who doesn't have a business and isn't going to profit you in any way, but just be And at the end when he's, you know, with Tiny Tim and he's become a father to him, basically like a second father to him. Like, it just is very like those, like I said, those characters are so symbolic in a way of like selfishness and then like. Not perf- I don't know how to put it, but like he represents what Tiny Tim represents is just everyone else, right? Like yeah. how to treat everybody else, even those who struggle and are sick. And yeah, one or of the lines contributing, yeah. Like to contrast, like the beginning description of Scrooge. Like I said, I love the end of it. That's where that's the stage five called the end of it. I love when he wakes up and it says, um, 
He's like, I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge, <laughs> laughing and crying in the same breath. And then he's like, I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. I love a that. <laughs> a merry Christmas to everybody. He's just like saying this to himself. And then he goes on and he just like starts to try to laugh. Like, I'm going to try and find the page. I love it. Oh, um, he said, there's... Oh, it's true. It's happened at all in white. There's a window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It all happened. Ha ha ha. That's him. That's Dickens showing him laughing. Ha ha ha. Like we do in like text or something. (laughs) Really, for a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh. A most illustrious laugh. The father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. And so he's like going around and laughing and playing pranks on people on Bob Cratchit, and he's having so I much fun with that. He's right, going to get him this really big turkey. It's going to be and, so funny. Yeah, he, so it gives him this turkey, and he's like thinking it's funny. So here's the line too. He's he's talking to the uh, the guy selling the big turkey. The chuckle with which he said this, and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey, and the chuckle with which he paid for the cab, and the chuckle with which he recompensed the boy, were only to be exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless in his chair again, and chuckled till he cried. So, like, if you think about what really makes us happy, this is what's making him happy, is, like, helping people and, like, being being aware of people. <laughs> like, he's so happy he's crying, right? So it's yeah. just, like, I love that. And then at the end, again, because I said I'd focus on the laugh because I do. Um, they say people would laugh at him and he didn't care. Or, oh, yeah. Some people laugh to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh and little heeded them, for he was wise enough to know that nothing ever happened on this globe for good, at which some people did not have their fill of laughter in the outset. And knowing that such as these would be blind anyway, he thought it quite as well that they should wrinkle up their eyes in grins as have the malady in less attractive forms. His own heart laughed, and that was quite enough for him. Like, the fact that he, his heart is laughing at the end is just, I don't know, it just, how do you not love that? How do you not love that? That's so good. <laughs> There's just so many good lines, but they, those those narrations of just, like, him repeating a chuckle, a chuckle, a chuckle, it's just so Dickens, Dickens, Dickensian style of writing that I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, well, let's talk about some movie adaptations and the film adaptations, because let's face it, that's also what most people are from most familiar with with this book. Although, do read the book. It's amazing. Read the book. Mm-hmm. It's so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't even, like, just read the book. But <laughs> let's talk about the segment where the book has made its way into pop culture. This has made its way into pop culture. <laughs> Everywhere. Okay? So, yeah, that means that has been established. I can't list that for you because <laughs> it's just not going to be a fun thing to listen to. So, <laughs> there's been public readings that Dickens himself actually did, radio broadcasts, stage productions, movies, TV movies, special TV episodes, parodies, festivals, graphic novels, and countless allusions to whatever these characters are. Or yeah, these characters we were are. talking about at home. It's like, all right, how many sitcoms did like a Christmas Carol themed episode? episode kind of thing. <laughs> like it's just oh, everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. It does allow for some good yeah. character development for characters, right? So yeah. I don't blame him for doing that. Um, there's Scrooge McDuck, Mr. Magoo, Michael Caine, Bugs Bunny. Cicely Tyson played Scrooge in an adaptation called Ms. Scrooge. So there's that. <laughs> okay. Kelsey Grammer, Jim Carrey, Alistair Sim, George C. Scott, and Bill Murray. All of those played Scrooge. What I love is all of them played Scrooge in, like, a different way. They bring a different 
part they bring something out of it in a different way which is what i love about movie adaptations like this is that well how you choose to bring it out uh, how you choose to play the character can change and a character that everyone's so familiar with. yeah can change mm-hmm. can change it and also that we can apply it to a different settings right you just get the idea each scrooge takes on a life of its own no matter how many have come before him or in this case will come after or her because there's some lifetime christmas movies called like a carol christmas where <laughs> it is i've seen two or a Eva christmas carol <laughs> <laughs> so i'm not just going to list all those but i am going to put them on the website for us so if you want to look at um the the some some rankings and some discussion on these different characters there's one that has all the different like tv episodes although i don't think they did a very thorough job because they skipped the dr quinn christmas carol <laughs> episode <laughs> who can forget that one <laughs> who, who among us <laughs> it wasn't even in the list that i saw anywhere and i know it exists because <laughs> i have watched dr quinn a lot so. <laughs> Let's focus on the ones we have personally enjoyed. Let's talk about which ones we think are best, which ones we like, and it, that's you. And people can chime in in their own um, way on social media and yeah, tell I us think, what they I think. think. People have a lot of, like mm-hmm. strong feelings about this. Mm-hmm. I know I do. <laughs> well, then, Sarah, tell us what is well, your Christmas Carol preference? A choice. Uh huh. Yes, mine um, is a Muppet Christmas Carol, which is you think would be silly but i think is actually a very good adaptation of this book and michael kane is playing scrooge just like like this most like royal shakespearean theater company like so straight doesn't matter that everyone else around him are muppets <laughs> and and i love it and you have gonzo as like a charles dickens narrator so you do get some of that of dickens voice and like i said Marley does lose some of his scary factor when you have Stadler and Waldorf like, in their song, but I love that song. The song Marley really does a good job of like, capturing what his yeah. speech says. It's not scary, but it uses yeah. the words. Yeah, they use the words, but again, it's it's silly. Um, but again, Michael Caine's treating it like, oh, you know what I mean? Like, it's so good. And him at the end, like you do just see this change of heart and... I love, love that movie. That was also, fun fact, this is the first uh, Muppet production that they did without Jim Henson. It was right after Jim Henson died. And I think it was kind of like, had this like somber, like, anyway, I've, I've read a lot about it. And I just think it has this kind of like special place um, as far as Christmas Carol adaptations go. And for people who like the Muppets, which I do. So I enjoy the Muppets. I also, growing up, watched... Um, mickey's christmas carol a lot like we had this vhs of it when i was little and i watched it so many times that you know i can still hear scrooge mcduck like cackling as he's trying to like trick you know <laughs> at the end after he's had his change of heart so i and i actually think that's a pretty decent adaptation as well as far as you know communicating some of those themes but uh so i i do i i like the ones that i experienced as a child they've stuck with me your nostalgia factor yeah those are good reasons. And those are good adaptations. I like those. Yes. Erin, hmm. do you have a preference? Um, well, yeah. So Sarah stole my thunder, but I was uh, totally going to go with a Muppet. Go with Muppet. Agree really? with it. Sorry. Let's agree. Yeah. It's a lie. Yay! Well, I'm no. so happy. <laughs> I mean, I I honestly will say, like, hands down, I think that is the best adaptation. Totally. Yeah. They just, I mean, yes, it's Muppets. So, yes, it's a little bit, you know, silly and, and a little bit more lighthearted. But they cover some, like, really 
deep ground with it too. And I think they do a good job with the ghost of Christmas present. Cause they do show him getting older and kind of like reaching the end of his kind of lifetime. So I think they actually do a good job with that. Um, interpretation and yeah michael kane is just phenomenal and who doesn't love the idea of um of kermit the frog as bob cratchit i mean <laughs> I know. come on and, i know and i love that all the his kids like the girls are pigs and the boys are frogs. i know right <laughs> Some little teeny tiny tim um yeah. so i think that they i think they just do a, I, I just think it's a very very well done ad- adaptation aside from the nostalgia factor the other one that i was going to say is um in almost, I would be surprised if almost if there were any American cities around the country that did not have some sort of theater production of A Christmas Carol happening at Christmas time. Um, I think most cities probably do. But one of my favorite theater adaptations was um, going to see it in Ford's Theater in Washington D.C. Mm. And they do it every year, and it's it was just it was a terrific production. And they decorate the theater. They put garlands all over the balconies and, you know, all sorts of things. And so you're in this very historic theater. It's the theater where um, Abraham Lincoln was um, assassinated, for those who don't know. And that doesn't necessarily contribute to the Christmas spirit. But yeah, it's like, do they, like, stage, like, a recreation of that? Or? <laughs> yeah, right. No. Um, but you're just in this, like, very historic place. And you're watching this great adaptation. They put really fun music with it. And they do, you know, the scene where they have, uh, like, the Fezziwig ball. They're all dancing. And they're just having, like, a really great time. And it just, I remember walking out thinking, oh, my gosh, that was one of the best theater productions I've ever seen. Like, it just had all the feels and was just um, really, really charming. So I think that's my favorite theater adaptation, even though you can probably see it in any city where anyone lives and I would highly recommend that. It'd be a, it just puts a good Christmas spirit. Like, that's awesome they got to see it there, right? Yeah, like it was great. It was one of the things on my bucket list that I wanted to do before I left. And so, um, and it's it can, it can be kind of hard to get tickets. Not always, but, you know, just because it is popular. It's a tradition. And it's yeah, tradition. people to do it traditionally. Like, that's what I've noticed is, like, oh, I'm going to go to the Christmas Carol this year. Again, it's like the Nutcracker for some people, right? right. Like, they do yeah. that every year. Do they have the same person that plays Scrooge every time? I don't know if it's every time, but um, I was, I've was i been looking at the emails for this year, and I think it's the same guy this year. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I think the same guy that I saw has done it for the last couple of years. So I, do, I don't know if they keep the cast the same every year or not, but um, I think there's some continuity in there. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds pretty awesome. I like the stage plays, too. Um, but I'm going to disagree with you guys on your adaptation. I'm sorry. I do Liz like... Has seen... Liz has probably seen more adaptations than than, than we have. <laughs> no, it's okay. That's true. I've <laughs> seen the Muppet one, and I love the Muppet one, and I listen to... I like the songs. I think they're so clever, right? Um, I think Scrooged is so funny as a parody, right? Like, it's great. Scrooged is great. Bill Murray, that's I, great. right up there for me. But this is my favorite. It is the lesser-known... Patrick Stewart, TV, mm. Hallmark. It was like a Hallmark adaptation a few years like ago. TNT from, or something. From right? Oh, yeah, TNT. TNT. Not Hallmark, sorry. TNT from like 1999. Um, Hallmark, I mean, Patrick Stewart plays Scrooge. Um, Dominic West plays Fred before he, you know, became 
Uh, bigger, bigger. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily call him famous. But well, he was more famous miss. than he was in 1999. <laughs> anyway, so I he, I like Dominic West, and I there's lots of there's not a lot of big names, but here's what I love about it: it is so true to the book. It has the ignorance and want in it. It like it's like watching a masterpiece theater adaptation of like a, a novel you love, right? And where they stick so true, and it's just like showing England and all these different like beautiful ways, and it's just. So so I feel like I'm watching Masterpiece Theater with it. And um, my favorite part really is, because I, I told you I love that laugh focus, right, in the book, is Patrick Stewart's, like, depiction of him trying to laugh for the first time. And he's, like, coughing. And, like, <laughs> he can't get out. And when I'm watching it at school with students, they're like, what's happening? Like, <laughs> what is happening? Liz has shown me that. And, like, Liz Thomas, not much of a weeper, <laughs> Pretty sure she was crying. <laughs> oh, I don't know that. But I love it. It's so good, and he does such a good job. I just, I don't know, I, that's my favorite adaptation. So, I mean, disagree, come at me, that's fine. I mean, What do you guys think of the Jim Carrey one with the creepy animation? I did not like it. I think it's creepy animation. Mm-hmm. I think I didn't like it. I didn't I also really like it either, but think it's, it's too parts scary. Parts that me. The, 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 it, did kids think it's scary? No, I mean, yeah. They do, I guess. I mean, they always ask, can we watch that one? I'm like, nope, because you've seen it. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I, I just remember that because it also has the ignorance and want and it's so scary. <laughs> like, it's very unsettling. Um, um, anyway, I remember that. But I did want to say, oh, well, so there's um, there's a new adaptation coming out. You guys I know. have seen this. The yeah. gritty FX version. That's <laughs> what yeah, so we were like. Is this like, <laughs> like gritty FX like version? The sexy hard version? Well, it's on FX. And I don't know. It just kind of looks like, like. The one you're thinking of. I don't know which one you're thinking well, of. Well, the one with. Uh, so Guy Pierce yep. plays Ebenezer Scrooge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know much about it, but it's supposed to air um, on the 19th. 19th, I think, for like, the uh-huh. publication. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. look at that. It's going to be on FX. It's a three part miniseries, which this book does not need a three part miniseries. So something <laughs> tells me that it is taking some liberties. But I'm, ex- <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to check it out, but like just the nature of like the gritty reboot, like I just kind of seeing it trying to be like a gritty reboot of a Christmas Carol, which makes me laugh super hard. But. And Guy Pierce, he could do a good job. I'm not doubting that. I'm just like, okay, sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, at the same time, I bet it's like, can be the, good because maybe it's a ghost story and it's I dark. Mean, it's a power. It's a powerful story, and like obviously is ripe for reinterpretation by all these different adaptations. I don't know, but well, they do. I think they are taking some liberties because there's a kid in here who plays Scrooge's daughter. I'm like, I didn't think no, this. no daughter, no. no. That's not. I, I have I have notes. <laughs> Dude is alone. <laughs> That's yeah. the whole point. <laughs> yeah, right. That's the entire point. So, uh-huh. oh, and Andy uh-huh. Circus is playing the ghost. Like of he Christmas is past. expressly like sees like when he sees Belle's daughter, and he's like, oh, I could have had a daughter, and he's yeah, all sad, yeah. right? Like. Uh-huh. Yeah. Can't give him a daughter, otherwise. Yeah. Well, maybe Belle got pregnant. <laughs> gritty and reboot. Gritty reboot. Scrooge's daughter, and not Belle's daughter. <laughs> not just <laughs> Belle's daughter. <laughs> Ooh, I'm, I'm trying to imagine other. Um, never mind. Yep. Yep. Let's not go there. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> um, there are so many different versions, though. Like I remember TV episodes too that would do special episodes that would be like. Using it as a way to like frame, like to do something at Christmas, but also show like some depth to the characters too. Like, 
I know we've talked about family ties in the past here, but there was a good family ties one when I was growing up that I remember. There's been Jetsons, Smurfs, apparently a Beavis and Butthead. I didn't oh, watch a ton of those, but that's, that's there's a Christmas Carol version of that. So um, I guess it's not hard to find. Like, turn the TV on, you'll find one. <laughs> now that we've finished the book, this is an inspiring book. So what did it inspire us all to do? Aaron, lead us out here. What did it inspire you to do? Inspire well, you I to think, do? I think for me, a lot of it is just being kinder as a person. Um, you know, the whole reason for the season and just being a better person. So that's a lot of what it inspires me to do. And I sound like a freaking broken record on this, but I just, um, well, first of all, I want to decorate my house like a Victorian England Christmas house. So there's <laughs> that. Um, and then I just, I just want to be able to write like, dickens or to write something you know incredible like this so i don't know at some point i'll stop talking about writing and maybe actually try to write something but (laughs) you know it that's just always there do it um sarah what about you that's a good one i I like the one to write aaron by the way i think that's a good goal yes um for me i mean i do think i mean i was legitimately inspired to be like you know some self-reflection and how can i be a better person and, and, um, and that, but also it just need, you need to incorporate some more like Dickensian games into your Christmas celebrations. I feel like, like it's a little blind man's buff and which I always thought was blind man's bluff, but it's blind man's buff, which is weird. <laughs> Are you sure? Yes. You've listened to it. Yes. It's bluff. No, it's buff. They say buff. Anyway, <laughs> you want to play that I, game where I people chase you around blindfolded, <laughs> yeah. and then the bachelor kisses you mysteriously. I yeah. got it. <laughs> Sounds like mm. recipe for some Christmas Eve hijinks. I like it. Okay, well, I bet we can make that happen. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, for me, I mean, it's inspired. It's always every time I read it, it inspires me to take Marley's words to heart and just make mankind my business, right? And to think about how I can lighten the burdens of others and think about ways I can um, just walk outside of my own world and see other people and what their needs are and and just be not so reclusive, right? Because I think it's easy to do that when you're by yourself, right? So that's always what inspires me to do is make mankind my business and just become a happier person because of it. And laugh more, laugh more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Not be the person people cross the street to avoid, you know? (laughs) Um, yeah, Not so many person who's like, nobody wants your stuff. So we're going to steal all your stuff after you're dead. Yeah, like, I mean, you're that's like, pretty harrowing. Shirt. <laughs> Including the sheet that you're wrapped in. Yeah, yeah. seriously. Yeah. Have people at my funeral. Like <laughs> life goal. Um, yeah. So don't die alone. <laughs> all sorts of inspirations. <laughs> I was inspired not to die alone. Yeah. Um, not have people be afraid to wish me Merry Christmas. <laughs> um, so... Yeah, let's not be the bah humbug types, right? So that's a good goal. Um, everyone else, what do you think of Christmas Carol? What version do you consider your favorite? What do you find inspiring? All questions that we could ask every single year. In fact, we probably will. So come find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Reading with Rory or join the conversation on our website at readingwithrory.com. Also, don't forget, us to, don't forget to leave us a review. And 
tell us how we're doing. Next time on Reading with Rory, we're going to be reading Catcher in the Rye. So thanks for listening and reading along with us. Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone. God bless us, everyone.